This year, you know, started out, we were really excited. Lockie and I spent a lot of time in prayer, preparing for this year. We were so excited, and we, we um, felt God gave us this theme of walking the way, you know, and we've been talking about this this whole time. But, you know, I find that there's a spiritual battle going on, and um, I think most of you know that. And again, I was speaking with people that I shared earlier in church, and that battle's happening here. You know, people are feeling it. And, and I'm, I feel it not only in this church, but, but right around the different churches around. You know, there's, there's things happening in the world that, you know, that, that um, the evil one's not happy with. When we start getting spirit-filled, when we start really getting on fire, you know, he, he tries to stop. And I really feel that, you know, we are really reaching a point where God's going to really move here in Gold Coast Central Church in a mighty way. So don't be discouraged. Let's stay faithful. Let's see what he has around the next corner. Another thing I didn't mention that was an exciting announcement at our, um, from our secretarial report at our business meeting is that we finally, uh, it's not official, we will let you know when it's official, but it's pretty much going to happen we're going to pass the 400 barrier as a church. And uh, we've been eluding that for the, um, you know, over five years I've been here. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to, but it's happened. So again, here it is, COVID, going through the stresses, not able to meet, but yet we are growing. God is blessing, and I just praise God for that growth. And um, I know that he will continue to work if we keep surrendering to him on a daily basis, being filled with his spirit. Let his spirit work through us, in us, and then through us. Now today, um, you know, I always struggle with having, getting my PowerPoints right, so I decided today I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have you open the Bible, okay? So if you have your Bibles open, if you don't have a Bible, um, I've got some, our guest services are going to bring you a Bible. Just hold your, your hand up. If you have a phone or a Bible, whatever, but I really want us to open Scripture together. And so, yeah, we put up the house lights a bit so you can read your Bible, and we're going to open God's Word together today. Um, I'm going to cover a lot, so bear with me now. I'm going to start at Genesis 1-1, and we're going to end in Revelation. So I hope you packed your lunch. Now, I promise I won't go that long. But I am going to cover those um, from Genesis, and we're going to end in Revelation. Because the topic today is really about who God is. And um, our first scripture that when you have your Bibles to open up to, most of you know it by heart, is Genesis 1, verse 1. And that was one of the first verses my children learned by heart. And um, you, you still look, at, look it up if you have a Bible. Keep your hands up if you don't have a Bible yet. They're going around with them. But here we find in Genesis 1, 1, it simply says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And what we want to focus on today is God is creator. He is the creator of what? The heavens and the earth. Everything. Everything on this earth, everything in the heavens. God is creator. And to me, it's one of the greatest titles. You know, there's lots of names throughout the Bible of, for God. You know, God Almighty, God the Father, God the Shepherd, you know, God the Redeemer. 
But to me, there's nothing more powerful than actually recognizing who he is as our creator. The creator of all things, and of course the masterpiece of his creation, is us human beings. When he created this world in six literal days, as we read on in Genesis, we find that he finishes that creative work by getting down and forming man with his own hands and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life and made this amazing body we have with all these systems and the blood and the heart and all those complexities. That is God's creative work. What have you created? You know, I'm not a real creative person, but I do like creating stuff. I'm just not that good at it. I'm better at just doing something like from Ikea and following the directions. I can create something good with that. I'm good at following those directions. My wife makes fun of me because, you know, um, usually I'm a fairly, especially when it comes to driving, you know, I'm, I'm not so a stickler for rules. But when it comes to cooking or putting things together, you know, it's by the letter of the law. <laughs> you got to follow it. And yet when my wife cooks, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and funny how we all are different personalities, but you know, what, what have you created, you know? And, and whatever creativity you have, God's given you that. That's who he's made you to be, and, and some of us are more creative. You know, many of us have these uh, creative side. I know I see it in um, particularly my twins. You know, they, they tend to be that personality, and I think whatever they end up doing with their life, they're going to really find fulfillment from being creative. And, um, you know, we see that in, in music and in, in um, writing songs and writing books and, and art. Uh, these creative arts is what God made us to be. Um, and as a church, we want to embrace that. We want to use all that God's made us and bring it to bringing glory to God. But, you know, it, it's really under attack, this first verse that we read in the Bible. God is creator. Even within Christian circles, you know, there's all this questioning. Oh, could it really have happened in six literal days? You know, maybe it was a thousand years or a hundred years for each day. You know, it stands for a thousand years. You have different theories. But, you know, as, as um, a Christian, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, we believe strongly that the Bible is as it says especially as we look at God the Creator, that He created this world. Can I understand that? Can I understand a God so powerful? You know, I don't, I, you know, I don't really get into a lot of superheroes, but I've watched a few of the superhero movies and I grew up with Superman and some of these things. But listen, God the Creator makes these guys look like nothing. You know, there's no superhero that would match God. God the Creator, he, he, He's made everything and complexities of this life and this world and nature. I love nature. To me, it gives me uh, great belief and faith in God more than even the Bible. Um, we, as Christians, often refer to, you know, nature being God's second book. I reckon it's his first book. It was here before the Bible. And to me, it actually gives me so much confidence. There has to be a creator. There has to be a designer. The beauties and the complexity. Um, you know, I love some of the programs by David Attenberg. I know he's not a Christian, and sometimes I wonder, how can he, he show us all these amazing things? I think there's a series now called The Perfect Planet. That sounds so Christian, <laughs> but yet, uh, anyway, I, I, I said 
to my wife, I said, Karen, you know, how can he not believe in God? And, and she's actually read up on this, and she said that he, he, um, he, has, he struggles with the fact that there is a, a evil, a, a, a bad side of nature. Some of these things that, you know, you go swimming in some rivers in some of these countries, and these little insects get inside your ear, and, you know, they'll basically take your life, eat you from the inside out. You know, things like that. There's just lots of things that we can't, it's hard to grasp, yet people just blame God. And listen, God's not responsible for anything bad. God is good. Everything God does is good. And so we as Christians, as we read the Bible, we see that God created the world and um, he made it perfect and everything that's bad that's come as a result of sin. And uh, as creationists, we're under attack. Uh, I discovered um, Pastor John O'Malley showed me a, um, it's a movie, and I think there's a lot of little series of sections comes out. It's just called, Is Genesis History? And um, you can just go on YouTube and watch the movie or watch some of the episodes. And it's quite good. You know, it, it actually gives, there is Christian scientists that can give some pretty good ex explanations to a lot of the things that people try to undermine what the Bible says. You know, with some of the things like the Grand Canyon and fossils and dinosaurs, you know, all these things that, you know, people say, how could there be a God? Well, you know, th there is another point of view. And I guess you could say either one's a theory. I mean, we as a Christians don't think it's a theory. We've got faith and believe it's truth. But really, you know, we don't have absolute truth, proof, we have to take a lot of it in faith. And, um, you know, faith is, is something else I want to bring out today. And a matter of fact, we might turn now to Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, uh, which you all should have now, we're going to turn over to Hebrews. And here in chapter 11, known as the faith chapter in the Bible, we find the first verse there, the definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 it says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it is the evidence of things we cannot see. And I think NIV says it's being sure of what we hope for is certain of what we cannot see. You know, this, this is what faith's about. It doesn't take faith to believe we're at Gold Coast Central Church right now, worshiping together, we can see it, it's here. But there's things that we can't see we have to take by faith. And I've often used the illustrations of things like air pressure. You know, what makes a plane fly? Well, it's the air pressure. Can we see air pressure? No, but we can see the result of air pressure. It makes these great big A380s with hundreds of people and all their baggage just lift up and fly through the air. You know, what, what causes things to drop? If I fall or I drop my glasses, I hit the ground. That's gravity. Do it. Can I see gravity? No, but I see the result of gravity. I know it exists, even though I can't see it. There's lots of things we just accept because there's enough evidence. And that's how I accept what God says in his word. There's enough evidence there that I can feel that I can have complete faith. 
And faith, again, starts out, the Bible tells us everyone has a measure of faith. It might be as small as a mustard seed. And a mustard seed in the Bible is talking about a big tree, a mustard tree. A little, it has a really tiny seed. And if we just have a little tiny seed, if we take that seed and we, we give it the right environment, we plant it in our, in our minds and we, we feed it by studying and learning and praying, that seed will grow into something mighty. And I know that many who have done the growth track, uh, as we're really pushing people to do the growth track, there's going to be some more opportunities to do that. We were promoting that last week. But you go through um, an inventory there that helps you to see what your spiritual gifts are. And every time through the years, I've done this many times through my 27 years of ministry, and, and always my top spiritual gift is faith. I've just, I guess it's, it's in me. It's, I have no doubt to me without question. But again, that's me. I don't have proof other than I've got enough evidence and I have no doubt that God exists. But you know, you go back and after that verse we read in Genesis 1-1 and God created everything and then created Adam and Eve and gave him this perfect garden. You know, what's a perfect garden? Oh, wow. You know, that, that's what, you know, when you're feeling discouraged, when you're feeling down, just think about a perfect place, a perfect fruit. You know, one of the great pleasures of life is eating. And I do have a sweet tooth. And I do love sweet fruit. <laughs> it's all natural. Nothing like a fresh peach off a peach tree. You know, where I come from in Alabama, Georgia, the state next door is called the Peach State. And they grow some beautiful peaches. And we traveled between Alabama, Atlanta, and Birmingham. We used to go by this place where they take fresh peaches from the orchards there and they make this peach ice cream. Oh, man, that stuff is beautiful. <laughs> but that fruit from a perfect garden will outdo any ice cream. You know, what I want you to do is think what God has, whatever you enjoy most in this world, everything good, God's got something better. And that garden was perfect. What happened in that garden? Well, God said, hey, um, I got all this garden for you, all this fruit, all the f you can eat from freely but one. This one tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that. Doesn't sound that difficult, does it? Shouldn't be that hard. But if you think about it, isn't it kind of our human nature as soon as we're told not to do something, your curiosity gets you. You know, curiosity kills the cat, as the saying goes. And, um, you know, we can be very harsh on Eve, thinking, you know, it's all her fault or Adam for, you know, just giving in to her. But, you know, we are all guilty. You know, the Bible tells us clearly, all of us here today are sinners. We all have gotten too curious and at times have done the wrong thing. Unfortunately, Eve's decision determined the outcome of a planet. But I want to I go back to God the Creator. Because I was actually teaching this in a state school just this past week. And it is, for, for kids that come, these are grade five, six kids I'm teaching, and most of them, you know, haven't, don't know hardly anything about the Bible. 
And they start questioning me about lots of questions, but one particular one that, that I thought, this one's a bit, you know, they thought, well, wasn't God a bit deceitful? Or wasn't God a bit tricky? You know, and I had to say, no. God can't be deceitful. But, you know, they're so used to everything. Everyone's got alternative motives. Just about everything in life. How can we, you know, not question God, especially someone that doesn't know God? And so I tried to explain this the best I could. But, you know, God's described as being omniscient, which is all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, able to be everywhere at once. These are words to describe God in Scripture. So, didn't God know that Adam and Eve would sin? I think he did. And I don't understand it totally, but there's a reason. He needed it to happen. He needed sin to actually take its course. And as we study through Scripture, we study prophecies, and we study what the result is there at the end of Revelation when we get to the end of the Bible, and it talks about the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down and the end of sin, finally. It's a pretty horrific sort of scene. But ultimately, it is going to come to an end. And it won't be a, a nice sight. But until then, God continues to be a loving, gracious, compassionate, caring God. I'm so thankful for that. You know, I was just did a little search on the internet, and I'm not going to take the time to read the stories because you can all do that. But you know, I just said, "Give me some forgiveness, good forgiveness stories," and they're all over the place. People who have been through, you know, drunk drivers killing their their spouse or their child, and that person choosing to forgive the person that did it. You know, this this is this is comes from God that sort of forgiveness. Because, you know, if someone takes the life of one of my children, you know, hopefully it never will happen. But if it does, boy, it's going to take something more than what I have to forgive the person that's responsible. And this is what God wants us to have. And I just want to encourage us as a people to be a people. Because we're filled with the Spirit, we're a loving and forgiving people. When we come to church each week, you know, why do we exist as a church? Well, you know, as I said earlier, we want to be here to encourage each other. But really, what we're here for, if we're really are a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is to serve. And I just would challenge us all, how are you serving God in your life? How are you serving Him from week to week? Now, I'm not wanting to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but I just want to challenge us because I realize we're all at different stages at life. We all have different things that pull on our time. But listen, a church, which is the body of Christ, can only operate as we come together as fully committed disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and we come together allowing His Spirit to give us the, the um, gifts of the Spirit to, to allow us to operate as the different parts of the body, to be complete, and to go about the commission he's called us to do.
And that is to spread the good news of the gospel and to baptize people in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And that you know, brings us to another description of God, this three-in-one thing. Do you understand it? Do you understand the Trinity, the word that's not in the Bible that we often use to describe these three persons of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit? I haven't met anyone yet. I have been in ministry for 27 years, and I was a Christian, I grew up in a Christian home long before that. And I've never had anyone that could perfectly explain it to me. I, I was doing a Bible study this week, and I had someone show me a really good illustration, and they took three wooden matches and struck it. And then they kind of held them together so it was one flame. I liked it. It was good. I'll remember that when I have to keep some box of matches on me when I'm doing Bible studies. Make sure the smoke alarm's not on, though. I remember when David Toogood was here, and I was in the office here. This was the first year back in 2016, and he was my intern. I was his supervisor, and he was going to be really surprised me with a cake on my birthday. And so he comes into the office there, and the smoke alarms and the church went off, and it was a, a bit of a disaster. You know... God has let sin take its course. But he doesn't want us to live under the bondage of sin. The Bible describes sin as being something that we are slaves to. Right through the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, in the writings of Paul, we find this continual battle between the flesh and the spirit. Our flesh naturally is attracted to sin. Naturally attracted to do what is wrong. Even though we know it's not going to lead to anything good. Because see, the root of sin is selfishness. The middle letter of sin is I. All of us are guilty of being selfish because it's in our nature. And Jesus came to show us how to be perfect. And although we do fail every day, God says, hey, I'm going to help you to become less selfish. I'm going to help you to, if you surrender to me, if you're filled with, your, with my spirit, I'm going to build you into a true disciple one who loves the unlovable, forgives the unforgivable. One who unites a church, the evil one's trying to divide. I don't want to sound negative. Matter of fact, I want to be very positive. But I do want us to be aware there's a spiritual battle that's happening. And it's so important for us, each one, to daily surrender, to daily ask for the filling of the Spirit and ask for God to show us how we can make amends for some of the things that we've all done wrong. How we can show love to people who have not been loving to us, who have hurt us, who have said things that we thought was not right. 
And when we start to do that, when we start to love the people, when we start to come together and be united, despite that we don't agree, God's going to be able to use us in a mighty ways. And I think, you know, as I study and have read about church growth, one of the great milestones of 400 is a big breakthrough. And I really feel this church, now that we're right here on the edge of passing 400, we're going to see things really go if we are 400 plus people committed and surrendered and serving. Letting our faith grow. If we read down the third verse in this faith chapter, so we're in Hebrews 11 still, in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. You know, this is again, this, this idea of God is the creator. He formed this whole world, and we see this theme right through the Bible, time and time again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God being the creator. What a great title. And he's a loving, gracious, forgiving creator. You know, we find this in the heart of the Ten Commandments. Turn with me to Exodus. Exodus 20 is where we find the, the Ten Commandments. And we're going to read from verse 11. So here in Exodus 20, we have listed all the Ten Commandments, but right here in the heart of the Ten Commandments is the fourth commandment, which is the commandment about the Sabbath day. And, you know, uh, I've got many friends and family that are Christians, but they don't keep the Sabbath. And they're good people. And I certainly think good of them. But they often, I've had it said to me, you know, what, what makes the Sabbath so important to you? Because sometimes the Sabbath, and, and, and since the beginnings of our church, you know, we've been a bit chastised. We've been criticized because we've made the Sabbath so important. But, you know, we didn't make the Sabbath important. God did. He put it there in the Ten Commandments right in the middle, but it goes right back to creation. He created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh day. Blessed it. He made it holy. So, you know, we do feel that that's important. That's why we're here on Saturday. Now, you know, I think we should worship God every day of the week. So, you know, if you go to church on Sunday too, hallelujah. But um, I think that he makes it clear that Saturday is the day that I want you to remember me in a special way. Build that relationship. You know, that seven-week cycle, where does it come from? I've heard it, no one ever tell me anywhere it comes from other than the Bible. You know, our daily cycle is determined by the rotation of the earth every 24 hours. You know, the seasons by the tilt of the earth. You know, we're approaching the shortest day of the year here in Australia. Over on the other side in the northern hemisphere where I come from, you're approaching the longest day of the year, the complete opposites. But, you know, we're, we're, the, the months of the year, how's it determined? The phases of the moon, you know, the yearly cycle, the, the, it's the um, orbiting of the earth around the sun. Anyway, there's nothing 
I've had anyone be able to show me what makes a seven-day cycle other than that's the way God made it. What a wonderful blessing. And again, how we go about this, you know, we, we might say, okay, well, I'm convinced. And, and believe me, um, through, through the years, Seventh-day Adventists have debated the Sabbath many times. And it's hard, someone that really knows the Bible, it's hard to go up against the Sabbath. It's pretty much right through the Bible. You know, you know, some people say we're under the new covenant, but, you know, it goes back to creation, and, and it's actually in the New Testament. Jesus came not to do away with the Sabbath, but to fulfill the Sabbath. You know, there's so many things that keep bringing the Sabbath back. But again, the, the note I want to kind of come to a conclusion today on, and that is, what's more important to our Creator it's how we approach life every day. And what I'm trying to get to is our attitude. Our attitude. And I want to just share. Oh, did I read in, in, in Exodus? Sorry. I had you open to Exodus. I do want to read this verse. So here in Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. So again, this fourth commandment, which this is in the heart of the fourth commandment, is really referring to God the Creator. So really the purpose of the Sabbath is each week for us to acknowledge and recognize and worship who? Our Creator. The Creator of what? All things. That's a beautiful thing. But how we do it is, is important, and that's the attitude thing. And I want us to go over to Philippians 2. And, and this is where I find very challenging. Because I don't always have the right attitude. I, w I wish I had a better attitude sometimes. You know, I can easily get grumpy. My wife says sometimes I wake up grumpy and sometimes I let him sleep. I should let him sleep more often. But it's true the saying that says attitude de determines altitude. You know, if you're really going to go places in life, if you're going to really be a Christian particularly, if you really want to represent God, our Creator, in a right way, we need to have an attitude like Jesus. And that's what it tells us here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Philippians 2 verse 5 very simple verse. It simply says, you must have the same attitude that who? Jesus Christ had. Again, let's find how we can let Jesus come into our hearts and live through us and change our grumpiness, change our judgmentalness. Jesus didn't go around pointing fingers. You guys are doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. He just went around loving people. He went around pointing people to the Creator. He showed an example. We as people are so good at pointing our finger at other people. You know why? And I'm as guilty as anyone because when we point out someone else doing something wrong, it helps us feel better. But we also find there's always someone doing things better than we do. And so that makes us feel bad again. So then we got to find someone else to kind of condemn so it makes us feel good. You know, it, it's, it's a bit of a game that we can play with ourselves. And we just simply need to humble ourselves as Jesus did. 
And how did he do it there in the upper room? We covered this last week as we were talking about communion and remembering that last supper. And just before Jesus took the bread and the cup and shared that last supper, Jesus did what? Took the towel, knelt down, and served each disciple by washing their feet. This is an example of what we need to be doing as Christians. This is the attitude, an attitude of service. And this counteracts our, our, um, our, our, our slave to sin. How do you get free from being a slave to sin? Well, you get, you're set free by Jesus. And then you become a servant as Jesus was. As we read on down in that same chapter in... Um, Actually, I want to go back up to verse 2. And here in verse 2 it says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. And it goes on in verse 3, Be humble. You know, be humble. And now go down to verse 14. And this is the one that we all should read probably every day. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm any better than anyone else because I can be a bad complainer. You know, we, we can whinge and whinge so easily. We're so blessed in Australia, but boy, can we whinge sometimes when things aren't going our way or we're a little bit uncomfortable. And that's what it says here in verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Everything. So I'll leave that with you because the only way we can do that is in by being filled with the Spirit and allowing Jesus to work in us. And as I, as, I, as I wrap this up today, I did say I was going to go to Revelation. And I want to go to Revelation. I want to go to something that we know well as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In Fort, Revelation 14, we have what's called the three angels' message. And here in the three angels' message, again, we find Jesus being the key, the gospel, and we find God being identified as the creator. Revelation 14, if you have your Bibles, open up to that, and we have the first angel, then the second angel, and then the third angel. But here in the first angel, it talks about Spreading the gospel. This is the key. This is what we're called to do as a church. But then it goes on and says, to give glory to him for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth. Again, we get back to made. We got the creator. What do we do? We need to worship. And that's really the key as we get approaching the last days. And I don't think anyone questions whether we're living in the last days. And I don't want to be an alarmist. I don't want to be jumping to conclusions because I just live each day knowing that any day could be my last day. And the important thing is that I know Jesus. You know, I think about just the five years I've been in this church. I was thinking about it last night. And I started going to, 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 to just people who are no longer with us. Funerals that I've done. We had a funeral here yesterday. A poor 
year-old young lady in the prime of her life. You know, life is uncertain. We can't put this off. We need to be right with God and we need to have a relationship with Him and we come together every week. What for? To remember our Creator. To worship Him who made the heavens and the earth. And that's really what some of this scary stuff that we read about and we hear a lot about it lately with the, the, the coronavirus and stuff about the mark of the beast and we're not able to buy and sell and the mark of the beast, the number there, it says in the, in the end of Revelation 13 is number 666 and you know, people think, um, you know, this, um, whatever, they're going to put this chip in me or, you know, it's going to be done through the um, vaccination or whatever. But, you know, listen, guys... Uh, man does all sorts of crazy things, and in probably some places in this world, they might put some chip in some people. But the point is, this isn't talking about 666 being on my head or being on my hand. It's talking about knowing God, knowing Him as my creator in my head, and then acknowledging it by following Him. And that's what the hand represents. And so my appeal to you as I close today is know what God tells you to do. But don't just know it. Live it. Do it. And don't do it in a way that you're doing it and say, hey, look at me. I'm worshiping on Sabbath. You're not worshiping on Sabbath. Therefore, I'm better than you. That's the wrong attitude. That's not the attitude of Jesus. Jesus had the attitude of loving people where they're at. And as soon as we have an attitude that somehow we're right, you're wrong, it's not fulfilling what God's called us to do. You know, I'm, I'm far from a perfect pastor, and I'm pastoring a church full of people that are far from perfect. But as we come together, surrendering to Jesus and the body of Christ, making a choice that all we do will bring glory to God. I know He's going to do mighty things. May we keep looking to Jesus, and may He use us. Amen.